Find Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. If you're new to our Wednesday night services this evening, we've been going through the book of Esther, uh, talking about the unseen hand of God. We're up to the fifth message, Esther chapter 4, the unseen hand of God. Let's begin reading in verse 1. I still hear those pages turning, so I'll give you a moment. Esther chapter 4. And tonight's subject matter is faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Got it? Okay. When Mordecai learned all that had been done... Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him, to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these thirty days." And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom For such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast 
on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Chuck Swindoll writes, he says, In an overpopulated world, it's easy to underestimate the significance of one. There are so many people, he says, who have so many gifts and skills, who are already doing so many things that are so important, who needs me? What can I, as one individual, contribute to the overwhelming needs of our world? But the truth is, you are you. In fact, you are the only you in all the world. And Edward Everett Hale says, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Folks, when you read history and even read the different stories in the Word of God, you find most of the time that God did not raise up masses. He raised up one individual to touch other people's lives And to touch the masses. I think we're seeing in the news right now an example of that, aren't we? Billy Graham. How God raised up one to touch the masses. He raised up, God raised up an Abraham. He raised up a Moses. He raised up an Esther. He raised up an Apostle Paul. And others like that. Again, generally God doesn't raise up masses. He raises up one person to be a key leader and spokesman for him. God's in the business of taking one and doing revolutionary things through that one. And yet living as that one takes a great deal of faith, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then in Hebrews 11 6, uh, we, we hear the words, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Chapter 4 is a study of faith and the avenues that faith takes to show itself. First, it's Mordecai's faith, and then it's going to become Esther's faith. Now, the first thing I want you to see tonight, if you're taking notes, is Mordecai's devastation. Mordecai's devastation, look again at verses 1 to 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. 
he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now don't forget how chapter 3 closed. You remember how it closed? What happened? What happened at the end of chapter 3? Haman sort of tricked King Xerxes into issuing that decree. He said, there's a people living among you that their laws are not like our laws. And it is actually not not to your advantage to allow them to even continue to live. And so he got Xerxes to issue that decree that all of the Jews and all of the provinces, wherever Jews could be found, would be put to death. That's the way chapter 3 closes. Now, one might be tempted to question where God is. In light of a decree like that being issued, Where is God? Do you ever look at the condition of the world and are you tempted to think that? Where is God? With everything going on in the world happening the way it is, where in the world is God? Well, guess what? He's very much there. He's at work even when we don't see Him working. Now, as chapter 4 opens, we see the sadness of Mordecai. He is shaken to the very core because as many as 15 million lives are now in danger. Now, we, we tend to express grief in different ways. Today in the West, we are more reserved. You know, when... For example, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, his widow dressed in black with her face hidden behind a veil to hide her tears. You see public scenes today of funerals in the West, and people will be very somber. They'll be very stoic. They're, they're almost emotionless. That's kind of the way we are in the West. But folks in the East, People are very expressive. Mordecai wept over the destruction of human life. And he carried his grief as far as he could. He went all the way to the gates and he made it known. He was not afraid to let people know that he was a Jew. In fact, he had already told them that. Now it's out in the open. There comes a time with certain issues that we've got to take a public stand. That's what Mordecai is doing. Mordecai is taking a public stand in behalf of his people. Now what could be a more appropriate situation than the situation here? Because human life is at stake. You know, Proverbs chapter 24 makes it clear that when human life is at stake, we dare not remain silent. Mordecai knows that this is not the time 
to remain silent. This is the time to pray, and this is the time to act. What do we do? What do we do when we're devastated? Some people turn to very unhealthy outlets. But we ought to turn to to God in prayer, right? What we should do. They put on sackcloth and they prayed. In the Old Testament, putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes or pouring ashes over you was a symbol of grief and mourning. And that's what Mordecai does. He puts on sackcloth and he goes to the city gates to pray. He has the conviction that even though the earthly king may not be paying a great deal of attention to him, yet God is. What do we do? Do we turn to God and pray? You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we are to cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us. And does God have to prove his love to us? No, he's already done that, has he not? At the cross. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He cares for us. Do you remember in experiencing God what Henry Blackaby said about when they found out his young daughter had been diagnosed with cancer? He said, God, don't ever allow me to question your love for me because you settled the issue of your love for me once and for all when you sent your son to die on the cross for me. God cares for us. Because he cares for us, we're to pray. We need to pray, and when time is appropriate, we need to take action if it's in our power to do so. It's been said that all that must happen for evil men to prevail is what? For good men to do nothing. We're to be salt and light. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Folks, as the church, we've got to realize in culture today, that's the role that we're to play. We're to be salt and light. We're to make a difference. And Mordecai realizes this. He realizes that it's time to do something. If somebody doesn't step forward and do something quickly, the Jews are going to be snuffed out. And so he's ready to take action. But he begins his action By turning to God in prayer. Well, after Mordecai's devastation, I want you to see Esther's evasion. Esther's evasion. It says in verse 4, When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. 
Esther has become so far removed from her own people that she doesn't even realize, apparently, the decree that's been issued against the Jewish people. She's isolated now in the king's court. She's his wife, and and she's sort of removed from all the problems that are going on with her people. She doesn't even know why Mordecai would be acting this way. And so she sends word to try to find out, and she also sends new clothes for him to put on. Now, that's interesting uh, because, again, she doesn't know quite yet why he's in mourning. Some suggest that she's just anxious to simply save his life because back then for common folks to be at the king's gate in sackcloth was deemed to be very inappropriate and it could even be life-threatening to you. And so she's interested in just getting him to get the sackcloth off, get away from the king's gate and put on normal clothes to save his life. But initially she doesn't even seem to be too awfully concerned about what's going on. You know, the Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to enter into one another's suffering, just the way Jesus entered into our suffering. Well, notice that when she finally does find out what's going on, she says, what can I do? It's a response of evasion. What in the world can I do? Now, folks, in defense of Esther, she knew the story of Vashti. And Vashti had been banished by official decree. So she's already seen a case in point what happens when the queen tries to take some kind of action without being invited to do so. Just as Vashti had been banished and put out, Esther knows that that could happen to her. And so I guess in a sense, it's a legitimate question. She knows the king has not summoned her her in 30 days. But also it does seem like there's a little bit of a level of disconnect, doesn't it? Maybe she thinks she's risen above the danger somehow or another. Folks, we can't, we can't evade the danger in the world and look the other way. In Chuck Colson's book, Against the Night, he says, We are entering a new dark age brought on by relativism, radical individualism, and materialism. People have grown accustomed to the dark. They don't even realize that the lights are out. Dr. Seagrave Singer, who at one time was the history professor at UNC, says the American dream is vanishing in the midst of terrifying realities and visible signs of decadence in our contemporary society. What Dr. Singer is saying is that we're going down the tubes because of our own corruption. We can't just look the other way. Now, I know, I know that we've got to be very wise in how we deal with things, but avoidance doesn't help anybody. 
The church can't avoid everything going on in the culture and pretend that everything's going to be okay and get better. We've got to be ambassadors for Christ. Amen? We can't just hide in the four walls of the church. We've got to get out there and make a difference wherever we can make a difference. Well, thirdly, I want you to see Mordecai's confrontation. Verse 13, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom For such a time as this. Now folks, this has gone down in history as one of the, at least in Bible history, one of those pivotal turning point type speeches. A speech kind of like Winston Churchill in World War II. Or how about Franklin D. Roosevelt? The only type of fear is fear. Fear itself, right? It's one of those speeches. I mean, a speech that is going to alter the course of history. Now, before we get into Mordecai's words, however, I want you to notice an individual that it would be so easy to overlook. Now, who I'm speaking of is the go-between servant, the guy who keeps carrying the messages between Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai and Esther both rely on him. What's his name? Hathak. Some of those quiet, almost unknown personalities in the Bible that had a huge role, but we don't know that much about them. How about the people that let the Apostle Paul down the wall by the basket? Remember those? What about folks like that? How about the lad, the little lad who gave up his loaves and fish fish to Jesus? How about the little servant girl in 2 Kings chapter 5 who intercedes on behalf of Naaman. Little unknown figures like this. People that were almost tempted to overlook and forget about. And yet, look how God used them in mighty ways. See, you don't have to be a big shot, do you? You can be a little person. Be used greatly by God. Or a donkey. And be used by God in mighty ways. Well, back to Mordecai's confrontation. Mordecai shows a great deal of faith because notice what he says. God is going to save a remnant of his people. God is not going to abandon his children. Verse 13, what's he point out? God, God's going to provide deliverance some way. Some way or another, God's going to provide deliverance. Because folks, from a New New Testament perspective, what do we know still has to happen? 
The Messiah has to come. The Jews can't be destroyed at this point because the Messiah comes, Romans chapter 9, the Messiah comes through their line. So Mordecai knows that somehow or another, God is going to preserve his people and he's not going to abandon his children. We need to remember that too in our darkest hours. Mordecai knew the covenant that existed between God and his children that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God made that covenant with Abraham. But not only faith, but also Mordecai displays realism. Just a a dose of realism. And that realism is what? Esther, while God is going to preserve a remnant of his people because God's work in them is not complete yet, Esther, you and your father's household may not be in that remnant. That's a hefty dose of realism, isn't it? You've got a chance to be, but if you reject God's plan and God's assignment, you may not be saved. What a sad realization for Esther. What a sad realization for people today. God has them in situations for His glory, and some people turn away. Folks, we do not undo the purposes of God. The purposes of God march on. We'll just miss the blessing ourselves. And, and, and then he states faith again because he says, Who knows but what you've been placed in this situation in life for just such a time as this. That's the key verse in the entire book of Esther. That's the verse that most people know when you talk to them about the book of Esther, they know that verse right there. Who knows, but for just such a time as this, God has placed you where you are. Esther needed to see that. She needed to understand that. And folks, we need to live with that realization too, don't we? Is it any accident that you happen to be in the relationships that you're in and maybe the position in life that you're in and the circumstances in life that you're in? Does God do anything by accident and coincidence? No. We need to understand that, folks. All of us need to live with that sense of divine appointment. God has me where I am, knowing who I know, being in the position in life I'm in, going through what I'm going through. God has me right where God purposes for me to be for His purposes. Life's not an accident. God's sovereign. 
And you and I need to see that about our lives and circumstances just like somebody like Esther needed to see that. Divine appointments. Do you live every day of your life with the sense of divine appointments that may take place in your life that day? Folks, sometimes we start out the day and we're praying for God to use us that day and we go about our day and we totally ignore who comes across our path that day. We've just prayed that morning, God use me. And we ignore what happens in our lives that day. We need to do a little better job of opening our eyes, don't we? And paying attention. Lastly, I want you to see Esther's resolve. Look at verses 14, uh, excuse me, 15 and 16. Esther's resolve. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go into the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She decides she's going to go into the king and intercede for her people. She finally dies to herself. Folks, when you think about it, Esther has hidden, thus far, Esther has hidden her identity. She's even gone by her Persian name instead of her Hebrew name. Thus far in the book, she's hidden her identity. And at this point, she realizes that she can't do that any longer. She dies to herself. Okay, Mordecai, I'm going to do this. And if I perish, I perish. I think of Nate Saint. If you've ever seen the movie, The End of the Spear, then you know the story of Nate Saint and his friends. You know, they were, they were going to be missionaries to a remote people group in South America. And of course, as you know the story, they, they died taking the gospel to the Alka people group. Some time ago, there was, there was a man who wanted to see the area where Nate Saint and his colleagues died. And so he, uh, he rented a, a plane and a pilot who knew the area to fly him over that spot. He wanted to photograph it. And when they got over the spot, the man said, there it is, there it is. I recognize the beach. There it is. There's where Nate Saint and the missionaries died. And the pilot said, no, sir, no, it's not. He said, that's it. That's it. That's where he died. I know it is. Pilot said, no, it's not. What do you mean? I know it is. And he said, sir, 
I know it's not. You see, I was a college buddy of Nate Saints. That's not where Nate Saint truly died. Because I was with him in the church service back when we were in college. I can take you to the altar of that church where Nate responded to the invitation. And that altar is where Nate Saint truly died. Amen? Well, finally, Esther dies to herself. She realizes if she's going to do God's assignment for her life, then she's got to die to herself. Any application for you in that? Sure there is. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16, 24? You know what he said? If any man will come after me, what's he got to do? He's got to deny himself, take up his cross, which is what? An instrument of death, and follow me. Esther's not the only one who had to die to herself. You and I have got to die to ourselves too. If we're going to live out God's plan for our lives. You remember what Paul said about that? Paul said, I die daily. The flesh. The flesh rears its ugly head, doesn't it? We've got to die daily. Folks, we can't conceal our true identity. Sometimes today, Christians hide in the shadows, so to speak, to try to protect ourselves or not want to get involved or whatever. We can't do that. We've got to stand up and be counted for Christ. The Christian life isn't simply to be about theory. The heart of the Christian life is that I have to die to myself daily and take up my cross. And only when I do that and when you do that will we realize what God in turn can do in and through us. Now I want you to notice something else here. Notice that in carrying out her task, what did she do? She enlisted Prayer support. Is that important? You better believe it. She didn't carry out her assignment and her strength. I think of the early church. You read those early chapters of the book of Acts. And everything the early church did, it was bathed in prayer. Every major movement through the book of Acts... Go back and read it for yourself. Every major movement, every major decision and opportunity the early church had, they bathed it in prayer. She gets these friends fasting and praying for her while she does the same. 
Now, let me give you some lessons tonight. I'm going to give you five of them. Lesson number one, God is very much at work in his world. God is very much at work in his world. Reading through the book of Esther up to this point, again, somebody might be tempted to ask the question, where is God? Folks, God is on every page. God is raising up one, putting down another. Putting down one, raising up one. Opening this door, closing this door. God is getting everything in place so when the right moment in time comes, His people will be protected. Just because you don't read the name of God in the book of Esther up to this point does not mean that he's not there. He's very much there. And just because you and I may not see God everywhere around us in everything does not mean that he is not at work. Have you ever looked back on your own life and at the time things you were going through, you didn't see God, but now you look back in hindsight and you see that God was everywhere. Can you do that in your life? I hope you can. You look back now. Maybe some some decisions you made in your life. Maybe some crossroads you were at in different directions you ended up going or had the opportunity to go and you see what you did. And, And you see now, looking back on it in hindsight now, you see where God was everywhere. You might might not have seen it at the time, but you see it in hindsight. God's very much at work in His world. Second lesson, God places His people where He needs them most. God places His people where He needs them most. You think Mordecai being where he is is an accident? You think Esther being where she is is an accident? Absolutely not. Why do you think Vasti was put out and Esther was put in? You think that's them arranging all that? Absolutely not. That's God. God places His people where He needs them most. Third lesson. Faith involves action. Faith is more than just talk. book of James perhaps illustrates that for us better than any other book in the New Testament, doesn't it? Faith involves action. It's not just talk. How has your life changed? How's your life new? What kind of fruit is coming out of your life? How's your life different? What are you doing with your life? All of that shows whether or not you have true faith or not. Mordecai shows himself, and then Esther shows herself as being people of faith. Fourth lesson. 
Public stands can be costly but necessary. Public stands can be costly but necessary. We need not think as believers that as believers in the world today, we are going to always be insulated from all the problems in the world and the problems around us. We're not always going to be insulated. And we can't be secret disciples. We've got to take a public stand at times. And when we do, it may cost. Are you and I prepared to do that? And then lastly, the Christian task must be bathed in prayer. The Christian task must be bathed in prayer. We dare not go out to the world until we have first gone in unto God in prayer. Before you go out to the world, go in to God.